Alright, hello everyone. This is Shilpa Mudiganti, your host of Simplify CXM podcast. And I'm so excited for this episode because believe it or not, um, it's all started with a book. Uh, so I've been reading this book called um, Customer Experience Management Field Manual. Uh, it's a guide for building your top performing CX program. The title itself was very attractive to me. I picked it up assuming that it will tell me how to roll out CX programs. And it was that. It literally was that because it gave step-by-step instructions on how do you roll out a successful top-performing CX program. And I'm reading through it. And then a couple of days or two to three days after I started reading the book, I got a LinkedIn connection invite from one gentleman and and I'm and he's a CX practitioner and and I went through his profile wow great I was really impressed by his experience um but then I kept thinking I have seen this name somewhere I have maybe I have worked with him in the past I just couldn't place him and then after after like when you know at night I pick up the book again and then you know how the Kindle app it opens up and it shows up the title of the book first and then you go to the page where you know where you last read and there it was he was the author of the book I'm reading so obviously I was thrilled to be um, you know to be connected to the author of a book that I was enjoying so much. Um, so I went back to him and I said, by the way, I'm reading your book. So it was, it was awesome. Um, I felt very privileged to be connected, um, to our guest today. And he's none other than Jeff Sheehan. Jeff, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much, Shilpa, for the lovely, uh, intro story. I love that story and, um, happy to be here, happy to be connected. And I'm thrilled that you're enjoying the book. Yes, it's it's one of the best ones, and I am recommending this to anyone who will speak to me and wants to know about CX programs. Um, so, Jeff, why don't we get started with an introduction? Our audience would love to know your background um, in general and in CX. Yeah, so uh, I've been in uh, the customer service profession for nearly 30 years now, which I just calculated that a few weeks ago, and it and I was stunned at how much time I've been working here because um, it's something I'm, I'm very passionate about. And I think uh, other folks in CX and customer service share a similar sort of character trait, and that is you know, service to others and, um, and wanting to make improvement, continuous improvement, to uh, particularly to um, processes and offerings and so forth that affect customers. Um, I had started my work uh, professionally as, a, as an army officer after I graduated university. I did that for 10 years. And then I got into uh, customer service and I was a field service delivery manager. I was in service sales. I've been in business process outsourcing and managed services. I've sold web hosting. I've sold um, services attached to hardware. Um, and I've gotten into uh, program and project management along the way. And then management consulting, uh, a bit of that along the way, always around services, always around solving business problems, always around um, customer satisfaction, customer delight. And uh, also 
back to my uh, managed services days, this idea of continuous improvement, looking for the feedback loops to go back and make products and processes and uh, you know better, easier, uh, more effective, and so forth. Not just for customers, but also for, for companies. Um, so I'm steeped in lots of different aspects of, I'll say, customer service. And I think I'm a good example of, of how you can sort of pull all that together and become a, a modern-day customer experience um, management um, um, professional, expert, uh, practitioner, as you said. Um, and that's what I, I find my work doing is, is working with clients, really understanding what they're trying to achieve and then sort of understanding you know, the operations they have and, uh, and pulling all my background into uh, my client work because it is it does include operations and sales and programs and projects and, and, and customers. Um, so I have enjoyed a, a, a sort of varied career uh, with a number of different employers along the last you know, almost 30 years. Uh, and then, of course, the field manual idea uh, sort of harkens back to my earliest days in the Army, you know, when I was an officer in the Army. And um, uh, field manuals were just the sort of, they are still the kind of product, the kind of book, the kind of um, um, resource that soldiers go to today to understand how to do things. And so I sort of took uh, that part of, of my military background and applied it to um, the, uh, the book that I wrote as a way in part to um, differentiate myself and my book, but also to sort of rely on that format of um, a field manual to, to help folks um, sort of in an easy to read, open up at any page and you know can begin at the end and all that kind of format. So um, yeah, I, I would say uh, right up to today, I'm actually living in Ireland right now. I'm on my way back to the States uh, mm -hmm. in August. And um, I've recently been uh, uh, hired by a company called MCorp CX, which is one of the last of the independent customer experience management consultancies. And um, I'm thrilled to be there with a number of like amazing people. I, I, I thought I was pretty good, but when I, when you're in the company of the folks at MCorp, they're pretty impressive and pretty amazing. And I'm just really thrilled to, uh, to sort of leap off from the next, this next iteration of my work with, with the folks at MCorp. Great. Congratulations, Jeff. Thank you. On your, that's awesome. And to your uh, point about the way the manual is organized, I really enjoyed the format. Um, and I think you did mention it in your um, introduction as well, that how you borrowed the whole military style field mm -hmm. manual into this. Um, looks like it works for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, as I, in the past episodes, I have talked a lot about, you know, how do you set up a program, you know, it, and when I say set up a program, it is even before that, how do you win a buy-in from our executives to invest in a CX program? Um, how does systems like CRM influence um, CX programs? But today I want to talk a lot more about um, the core of a CX program. I mean, we're saying CX, which is customer experience. Um, it all begins with us listening to the customer, you know, voice of the customer in the room. Um, and when I was reading your book, I, I really liked the, um, the, the explanation you had given on how do we approach uh, voice of customer program framework. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about what you think is, is a uh, a good voice of customer 
program framework is? Yeah, um, so I would say the voice of the customer framework exists in your organization today already because there are people who are every day speaking with customers, getting interactions from customers, whether it's at a, uh, in a store or online or over the phone. And so you've already got a bit of customer feedback going on in your operation, even if it's informal and unstructured and you know, we wouldn't call it a proper function. But that's all valuable stuff. And I think you can use that uh, customer feedback in very, very constructive ways, which I think is what we all intend to do. But um, in the in the book, I talk about you know the VOC having three jobs, right? Listening, learning, and acting, and I think that they are inseparable. And so that is a framework that I, you know, at the very basic level, that I, I really recommend. And what we what we see a lot of times is there is quite a bit of listening, and it's oftentimes done with surveys. And you know, I was just looking at LinkedIn earlier today, and I saw a number of folks talking about how they're surveyed to death, you know, across a number of Providers, you, know, you go to your bank, you get a survey uh, on your way out. You do a transaction with your insurance company online, you know, maybe renew your account, you get a survey. You, um, I just recently did a home inspection, I got a survey, and you know, in a week, you know, a week of time, you can get as a consumer a number of surveys, and you can kind of be over surveyed. And you have to ask yourself, even as a consumer, like, okay, how effective is this? And 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 maybe we all ask ourselves, what do you do with this? If I give you five minutes of my time. That I'll never get back. What's going to happen? Are you going to make something better? Are you going to call me back and ask me why I felt you know that this was a bad experience or mm-hmm. anything like that? Um, you know that kind of thing. And, and and after a while of doing a number of surveys, you might get a little skeptical that anything even happens with this feedback that you donated to whoever has asked for it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So you know, listening is essential, and you know we do it all the, all the time. But um, it, it in and of itself, it's not useful. You have to learn something from it and then you have to act on some things. And, mm-hmm. and we could talk about those dimensions uh, here as well. Absolutely. So this is a very good intro- introduction. Um, so listening, learning and acting is, is part of the framework. Mm-hmm. Um, let's focus on listening a bit. Um, and and you, you brought out a very good uh, point about being inundated with so many surveys now I, I identify with it and you know it's it's like um, um, are, are we all trying to send too many newsletters uh, now right I mean email campaigns are they really working anymore um, sort of a question are we getting too many surveys is the feedback that we're getting in services really um, trustworthy anymore because I don't know why you know, it's just because you have to tick a box or it's real feedback. But um, my question on listening along with this is, especially in large organizations, you gather tons of data. Um, how do you, or, or what is your recommendation to CX team in identifying the, the, the feedback that really matters? How do we approach that? That's a great question. I love that question. And you have to go all the way back to the beginning of why you have a customer experience management program. I have seen job uh, postings for vice presidents of CX where the job description literally was to make our NPS score higher. Right. And I got to tell you, as a customer myself, I don't care about your NPS score, whoever Mm -hmm. you are. Right. I want value for my money. I want uh, I want you to be easy to do business with, right? I want to do business when I want to do business. So if it's 
I'm not free until 5.30 in the afternoon, I need your store to be open. I need your, you know, uh, your, your experts to be available for me to talk to, to get the assistance. But I don't care about your NPS score. So if you go back and you really examine, like, hey, what are we building an NP, uh, I'm sorry, a customer experience management program to do? Do we want to reduce costs? Do we want to focus on scores? Do we want to um, uh, uh, learn what customers value and incorporate that knowledge into our products and services and offerings and our processes? Um, do we want to do all those things? You know, and we use scores as a sort of um, a set of indicators, like you might have gauges in your in your car and in your uh, let's just say gauges in your car. They don't make you a better driver, but they let you know if you're if you're everything's okay. And scores can provide that kind of you know quick um, overview. But then when you get into the depth of um, you know, are you using information, uh, customer feedback data to make things better, whether it's a process, a product, or or, or, or a, um, a service. I think you really have to define what you want to achieve with your CX program. And it's perfectly okay to start simple and evolve and mature over time and get more sophisticated. Um, you know, we always use the, the overused examples of Disney and Amazon and Netflix, but they're very mature organizations with very mature CX programs. And I don't think they're a good um, comparison for a lot of other businesses, for example, that are in a much uh, lower state of maturity mm -hmm. and so keeping things simple and really defining you know what are we going to do uh, it's easy to go buy stuff and start collecting surveys and things but then what are you going to do with it and that's really the I think the hard work to do up front that will inform the entire program uh, from then on um, including its evolution and maturity as, as over time so, so basically your guideposts, you know, set up your guideposts so that when you are mm -hmm. looking into data, you know, where, which of these you are, you know, you're getting closer to, uh, which is great. Mm -hmm. And I, and I really like that you mentioned Amazon or Google, because I've, I've often seen in discussions where, you know, Amazon does it this way. So let's do it this way. And it's, it's sort of a pet peeve for me because mm -hmm. like you said, Amazon is at, at, at a very high maturity level which and we are just starting out perhaps amazon is not the right example um which brings me and it's perfect segue to my next question uh and and i was um i, I was very uh, happy to read it in your book as well about free listening um i think our tendency when we are when we are starting a cx program is oh we have to first go solicit customer feedback externally let's go with surveys with interviews uh get feedback which is great i mean i think that's one of the important um spokes in in in, in you know in in the hub being your gathering feedback system um can you explain a bit more about free listening because that's that was a very useful portion of of the chapter yeah thanks um and and i think it's important because if you are building a new program uh, and you don't have a huge budget you know, to go off and spend on, you know, uh, top tier, sophisticated software platforms. Um, your organization is interacting with customers right now. You know, they're on the phone, they're on your website, they're on your web chat, they're on your email, they're in your complaints department, they're in your stores, they're in your, um, you're maybe at their house, you know, whatever your business is, you're interacting with customers. And the bigger you are as a business, the more interaction you'll have. 
And so that's what I, you know, that's free listening. You're hearing what customers love, like, uh, like, love, and loathe about your organization's products, services, and process, right? So they might love your product, but it's just mm -hmm. such a pain to get it, um, to buy it, or to get it serviced, or to get it uh, renewed. I just, I just renewed an insurance policy this afternoon, and I was very complimentary of the woman who uh, helped me do it very quickly and very effectively. And it was just done. It was just, mm -hmm. it was great. It was one of the best service calls I've had in a long time. And I, and I, uh, and I told her so, but you know, that's an unusual experience for me with, with some of these um, uh, folks I do this with. So, so listening to what you already have, and you know, if you have a sales force that's facing customers every day or talking to customers every day, they know things about your customers. They know what your customers like and what they don't like. They know why they buy and why they don't buy. They know their reaction to pricing and discounting. And they hear about who they're competing with, um, your service and support people. Uh, they have conversations. They know what customers like and customers don't like. Um, and if you get into the deeper data around warranty support and field support, you know, like say you're, you're installing appliances from, from Best Buy and somebody takes that appliance out to a customer's house and installs it, you're going to hear all kinds of feedback. Uh, whether you ask for it or not, it's going to, it might come back as phone calls complaining about how late they were or how rude they were or how awesome, incredibly you know, positive they were. So that's all happening as you speak. And so how do you, how do you sort of realize that first? You know, we yeah. already have you know, an awareness and we already have tons of uh, feedback. I would say, you know, you got to sort of uh, do an audit of yourself and find out where you're collecting that, how you're collecting that, where it's being stored. It could be notes in paper notebooks. It could be notes in a CRM. It could be um, you know, emails from a complaint, you know, page on your website. Once you have that picture of where you're getting all this free listening, now you have an asset that you can start to manage holistically and tie it together. And uh, you can tie it into customer journeys. You can tie it into operations and processes and offerings and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's, I don't want to say it's easy because everything's easier said than done, but you don't have to start by spending a huge amount of money with a, with a big staff. You can just examine your own organization, take an inventory of where you're getting this feedback and where it's going and is anyone doing it anymore, where it's, where it's being stored, and then build from there. Understood. Uh, and that's a great approach of without having to spend millions in new programs or, or listening uh, tools. Um, the challenge that you have there, Jeff, is a lot of times our CRMs, which, which usually is, is our biggest um, source of at least direct feedback from customer, mm -hmm. you, we can always go to the other points of feedback that you mentioned, like orders or, um, you know, uh, conversations around, say, in webinars, etc. cetera. Um, mm -hmm. The challenge in CRM is you don't have enough of this data being entered, you know, the data entry uh, part of it. But apart from that, and, and I think that's more of a behavior um, uh, and training uh, issue than anything else. Apart from that, if we look at purely now bringing together uh, the data from all these different systems, we have challenges in connecting the siloed data. Um, organizations usually struggle 
um, in uniquely identifying, say, a customer, um, uniquely identifying um, which of this, you know, customer in the hierarchy model um, am I attributing this uh, this feedback to? So, and of course, you have duplicate uh, duplicate records as well, uh, just you know, for fun. Um, how do you approach this learning aspect? to it like how do you what is your approach to connecting the siloed data yeah well you're you're absolutely right you know data is one of the silos that a customer experience uh, management uh, program will encounter and it's a big one and it's i think it's a, it's a it's something that plagues every organization um, working with clients right now that are very big very um, mature companies very successful companies and they have a CRM but they have like seven instances of a CRM and in some of their uh, operations, they're not even using CRM. So even with a company that has CRM, in air quotes, you got to look more closely and, and more deeply and examine, okay, how many instances of CRM do they have? Do they use it the same way, as you mentioned, are the policies and processes for using it the same, where some might keep notes and some might not. Some might have more pull-down menus, some might have fewer. Um, and you, know, you, you talk about master data governance, and clean data, you're in a whole world of, of um, you know, data management. But, you know, more simply, what I'm saying is, you know, there are technologies that can aggregate data from whatever sources, and including the unstructured data that comes with phone calls. If you're a bank or a regulated industry, you have to record phone calls. And so you've got a huge amount of uh, useful unstructured data that could be analyzed and attributed to um, sentiment, attributed to a product or a channel or a product and a channel. And you can get a really rich set of understanding around what customers like, what they love and what they loathe. Um, and the more you can pour into that, whatever that platform might be for an analyzing all of your data, the structure and unstructured data, um, you know, the more um, detail a picture you can get of how you're interacting as an organization with your customers. And again, I, I want to make it sound like that's just, you just buy technology. It's a, you know, it's an evolution. And so as you mature uh, your customer experience management program holistically, uh, you will mature your voice of customer function along with it. And, um, you know, some of the more sophisticated and mature um, organizations will have sentiment analysis. It's not something I recommend people just jump into on day one, because it does require a great deal of um, awareness of what you're trying to achieve and, um, and what you're gonna do with it once you've learned all this stuff from all the sophisticated technology and collecting of, of, uh, of customer feedback data. You gotta ask yourself that next question. Like, okay, so what, now what? What do I do with it? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and, and I know we'll, we'll talk about that here in a moment, but, um, it's not, I would say the learning part is enabled quite a bit by technology, but you don't have to have these giant sophisticated layers of, of tech to, to get some kind, of, some kind of understanding. You can start in a, in a simpler way and evolve from there. And I think you should because it's the processes that are really, really important to exercise within your organization. You know, you've got to figure out what's important to listen for, Who's a stakeholder that needs to know certain things that your feedback might uh, inform those kind of things? 
And that's good news, right? Because we are talking about massive technology programs when we talk about MDMs, you know, master data management or, mm-hmm. or um, data platforms that will stitch the data together. Um, it's good news that you can get started somewhere and don't have to wait uh, for for the umbrella program to to conclude. Um, so you did already allude, uh, and it's perfect sub sub segue to the what do you do with this data part um when i went when i reached the acting chapter i was like very excited i'm like okay now i know you know i know how to get this together now we have to act on it we can act on this data and then you introduced me to a a matrix uh, called a very fascinating name value irritant matrix and i'm like that will get you attention Uh, how do you Hmm. Explain more about it. And I'm very interested and and I want the audience to listen to this too, because one of the challenges that I feel CX leaders have is proving their ROI, right? Proving the value in investing in a particular recommendation that CX uh, uh, program is giving the organization. Um, When I read through it, I felt like it works. Like you you could use it to show uh, the return on investment. Is, is that true or did I misunderstand it? And if you can talk a bit more about it, that would be great. Yeah. So um, I love the value irritant matrix and, and I learned about it uh, reading a book called The Best Service is No Service, which came out, I think, in 2008. And it's a wonderful way to organize what you're hearing uh, from your listening and what you're learning, right? Um, and to sort of organize it into what customers value and what customers are irritated by and what the company values and what the company is irritated by. And the best example I like to use is password resets. I'm old enough to remember the day when you had to call someone to reset a password, any password, at your bank, at your employer, wherever. You had to call somebody. When was the last time you had to call somebody to reset a password? It's 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 gone, right? So and the reason is it irritated companies and organizations and it irritated customers. So it was figured out by technologies to um, to just be able to do it on your own. So if you forgot your password, you click on that, forgot my password, generates an email and you know in a in a minute and, and much less time it would take to call someone, you reset your password, you're secure, and off you go. That's a great example of like an irritant for both customers and organizations, you know, being treated as a way to, to avoid a call. And when you avoid a call, I mean, you know, a phone call can cost, I don't know, $8 in the U.S. can cost about $8 a call. And if you if you get, you know, 500 calls a month for password resets, you know, 500 times 800, uh, was it 40 grand uh, a month is back into your margin and your, and, and your profit. Right. So um, and that you can also break that down into a um, labor, uh, you know, some some part of a, a full time equivalent, an FTE. So, you know, the ROI starts to really become clear uh, with using the value irritant matrix. And it's just a very simple way to focus what you're listening for and what you're learning from. So if you you know, and I'm a big fan of simplicity and clarity. And so if you're going to uh, establish Voice the customer program built on these three dimensions of listening, learning, and acting. Set it up so that you are listening for something specific, like what a customer is irritated by, 
And that's where, again, the, the sort of um, sentiment analysis, you know, in, in various cultures, it might be oh, pisses me off or makes me mad or I, I took too long. You know, that kind of verbiage can be parsed out by technologies that are associated with a channel and an offering and a time of day and a day of the year and all those other dimensions. It can get very, you can get very granular when you combine all that uh, customer feedback data. Um, and then so what? What are you going to do about it, right? And so when you use the value irritant matrix as a CX manager, you now know uh, or can, can work with your stakeholders to say, this is really irritating customers when they have to, um, they have to call after normal hours and they get a web chat that then tells them to call back or whatever the process is, whatever that's broken. And you can work with your stakeholders to say, well, if we fix this, what would we gain? Would we have better customer satisfaction? And is that a worthwhile business decision? Would we have better customer satisfaction and lower operating costs for that particular channel? That's a pretty interesting decision uh, or conversation. And you can make decisions with that because now you're working with something more concrete. And what we see today many, many times is CX managers are giving the business um, a monthly snapshot of scores. And people in the business are saying, oh, that's very interesting. What do I do with it now? Why did Correct. my NPS score? Yeah, mm -hmm. why did my NPS score change? Why is it up or down? Why is my CSAT? Why? What's behind all that? Well, mm -hmm. the value irritant matrix helps you sort of hone in on those things. And again, it's value to customers, value to companies, irritation to customers, irritation to companies. And you're going to come up with hundreds of things to do. And you can't mm -hmm. do all of them. So you have to map that to your, your, your CX capacity, you know, how much work can you actually get done? And which of course leads to prioritization and, you know, what is more important than the other thing. And for some businesses, uh, protecting the brand, you know, if I make a brand promise, I want to deliver on that. So let's listen for those things where we're, we're not doing so well, delivering on our brand promise. And for others, it's internal operational efficiency. Let's, 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 let's uh, deflect calls with some, some with some of the process so that we can, um, um, you know, save some money or save some time or, or, or both. Um, but my point is it gets you focused on practical, like business projects you can discuss with stakeholders and prioritize however you do your prioritization in, in your organization. And um, it's something more concrete. So as a CX manager, if you want to focus on converting, uh, you're going to focus on abandoned shopping carts and understanding why they're getting abandoned. And you find out there's a process step that surprises customers and that's where they quit. They just leave. Um, you might be able to help the sales team for that business by figuring out what to change in that process so that they can convert more shopping to sales and have fewer abandoned shopping carts. And that could be a very good metric for that particular um, uh, you know, stakeholder. So it's things yeah. like that that you can immediately see the ROI value. It can immediately be expressed in pretty obvious uh, terms. And I think that's a really, really, I think that's the shift for CX programs is to start really understanding how to tie helping customers with helping the organization and, and helping the program, the CX program, but being more concrete with its business impact. Mm -hmm. So basically tying back where we started from, which is identifying your guideposts mm -hmm. and then exactly everything that you do after whether it is uh listening learning or acting is is, is getting you closer to that 
Absolutely. Just one great example will come out of the restaurant business. So if you're Dunkin' Brands, all of your stores are franchise-owned. So that's an operating model that you have to work with as a CX manager. You can't just tell franchisees what to do. There's a certain way you've got to um, you know, listen and learn and act with, with a business model like that. And if you're McDonald's, where roughly half of your stores are owned by the corporation and the other half are owned by franchisees, you can do things a little differently in that operating model. And, you know, and, and, and on and go. So, so really starting at the very beginning and understanding your operating model, your brand and marketing, and, and your, you know, those, those, those realities and, and then building your uh, CX program to support those things, the operating model and the brand, I think is a very good way. Otherwise, you're going to build something and, you know, it might be at cross purposes with the business. It might be at cross purposes with, with, with the brand. Mm -hmm. And you might do a lot of work that doesn't really um, deliver anything um, relevant or important to the business. And, of course, that would be that would be bad. But um, yes. to really beginning, you know, getting it clearly figured out. And if you're already in a program, if you're already got a program and it's doing something, it's not bad to pause every once in a while and really examine, you know, mm -hmm. what is the mission, what is the purpose, what is what is the contribution that we're making? Are yeah. we aligned with the organization as well as we could be or should be? And if it is all thumbs up, great, you're doing amazing work. And if it's not, well, then you, you have an opportunity to get better aligned and and deliver something more meaningful correct and that's that's a great way uh for me to move to our last question um and this is this is a usually i like to put my guests on spot um oh, it's great. fun <laughs> <laughs> so um tell us like you are a cx practitioner i'm sure when you go anywhere use any product you're you're always struck by, oh, they could have done this better, or, oh, I love this. Tell us about a brand or or even um, a favorite CX program of yours, uh, which was, which really brought in a differentiator between success and failure. You know, what, what was a differentiator in, uh, you, actually, you pick your question. Do you want to talk about a brand that has wowed you um, with, with the experience that you have been through or do you want to talk about uh, a CX program that you have been part of or, or you know are aware of which was very successful and and you were like this is what made it success my favorite story to talk about is a piece of work I did years ago when I was with uh, Motorola Solutions and it, I was with the federal government business unit with Motorola and um, we just sort of, I stumbled onto an opportunity to do a bid with the Department of Veterans Affairs, who was looking for a managed Wi-Fi service for their hospital campuses. And what was happening was um, the, the the wars that America was fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan um, involved the soldiers that were born digital, right? So folks like my son, you know, they 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 were born when the iPad was invented and Netflix was invented and the iPhone was invented, and so they had a whole different childhood with all these devices. That um, that I certainly didn't have, and 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 I think that's what we mean by born digital. But now they're soldiers, and and their families are uh, digital as well, and they're using WhatsApp and FaceTime, and, and uh, they're using uh, social media to keep in touch with friends and family and all that stuff. But the VA hospitals did not have a Wi-Fi service to accommodate the patients that were there, 
who wanted to communicate with their families using these these digital tools. So the solicitation I saw was to was to invent that was to was to deliver that to the stores. So um, I figured out a way to build a little bit of a business and pull the products and services and support resources that Motorola has to do something new and um, and win some new business. And we pulled it together. I, I say we, you know, me and, and a number of other folks figured it out that, that, that we could do this and do that and build a program. And we won a number of solicitations with a, a variety of, of, of locations in the United States uh, that were you know, VA hospitals. And they're usually big campuses with many buildings and stuff. And what we delivered was a managed Wi-Fi service that let uh, 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 Veterans and their families communicate, uh, stay in touch with each other, video each other, and and uh, you know all those things that just were, were really really important. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about the VA working with the VA was amazing because um, they collect surveys on everything. They they want to know was the waiting room clear enough? Was it clean enough? Was the was the bathroom clean enough? Mm -hmm. um, did did you get waited on uh, satisfactorily? They obviously measure. Um, like post-surgical infection rates and all those other sort of metrics for, for a hospital environment. But they were very keen, like it would be really, really hard to go to any ward and not see little leaflets on the tables or little signs on the walls about, you know, tell us how we did kind of thing. So they, mm -hmm. they were very, very focused on survey feedback. And that was what drove this program was they understood they had a whole generation of soldiers that were using their facilities and the facilities weren't serving that digital need for these people who, you know, were relying on laptops and iPads and phones to, to stay in touch with their family, um, that they may be miles and miles away from, you know. Mm -hmm. So we did a piece of work together uh, with the VA that really was a response to feedback from the patient experience. And we felt really good because at Motorola Solutions, the group I was in, we were all like myself, you know, a number of us were veterans. And we just felt really good about the contribution we made to that uh, community of, of patients and to those hospitals where we, we were able to bring the business in and implement that solution. So it was a really, really cool, meaningful, important piece of work that I'm really proud to have been involved with. But again, That's driven okay. by patient feedback. Mm -hmm given to an organization that really listened and really cared and really learned and really acted. And uh, you know, really uh, probably the best story I have of, of, of uh, you know, associated with this voice of the customer conversation that we've been having. Um, yeah, so you, I, I love telling that story. It usually uh, gets me a little bit of emo a bit emotional, but but I, I was really, really proud of that, um, you know, a couple of those few years that we worked on that. And, and delivered some really great results. And that's such useful work. And and what what caught my attention was this was before we had such use so you know such heavy use of emails and email surveys. Um, looks like they actually took all this feedback on paper, and someone or some group in the in the VA organization actually took the time to go through all of that and and really listen to to the to their customers which is very impressive and very awesome and i'm so glad you were able to do work that meant so much to you uh jeff this was a fascinating conversation and i i feel so honored and privileged to 
talk to you, discuss your book. Um, as I said, and I'm saying it again, I, I'm enjoying the book and I know I will, I'll come back to this book again and again as I put some of some of the uh, you know content into practice. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, just congratulations again on your new role and thank you for your thank service. You. Oh, thank you um, for all that. It's just, I'm very humbled by all the compliments you just paid me. So thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed meeting you, Shilpa, and being on this uh, podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, and if anyone you know has any questions for me, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Just uh, if you want to ask me anything, and I'm happy to respond. And uh, thank you very much for making the time and having the interest in chatting with me today, Shilpa. You're most welcome, Jeff. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You too.